guys. Welcome to the uh, Men's Leadership Network podcast, and so glad you're joining in today. Uh, today, our guest is Steve Davis, who is amazing. He is the founding director of Justice Mercy International, and Steve and I have been friends for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and uh, this man has the biggest heart for missions that you've ever seen, and I can't wait for you to hear his story, because maybe you're out there, you're kind of thinking in your mind about hey, I'd love to do a mission trip one day, but kind of what would that be like? Or maybe you're thinking that you're a dad and you're like, how do I raise my kids so that they love the Lord and love missions and serving and not just, you know, get caught up in the world and be entitled and just want more money and those things. And so Steve's going to really help us process that today. And I'm excited to be joined by Steve. And thanks for tuning in today. So Steve, tell us a little bit about you and kind of your family and how you grew up and kind of what God's been doing in your life to bring you to this point. Well, anything but amazing and exciting, I'll tell you. Uh, back in my day, in the uh, early 50s, uh, you know, we were just, we were kind of like the leave it to beaver family. Uh, you know, if I didn't finish my milk, then my mom might think I was sick and better to go to take you to the doctor and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, just, just a regular guy. I mean, we just we'd go out and after school, you play army, you uh, go play basketball, whatever sport was in season. I mean, it was just that. Yeah, you could stay out till all hours, you know, and you were safe, and you come home at dark, and that's the way it was. Yeah, yeah. You grew up playing a lot of sports, and uh, but you're parents are pretty fascinating i mean they love the lord but your dad was also a survivor of pearl harbor yeah yeah uh dad was uh on the first ship sunk the uss utah it, it was the prime it, it, it was not it was probably the least lethal boat in the fleet mm-hmm. uh it was actually had been stripped the deck had been stripped and they had made it kind of like a target ship that's all it was at that point but it happened to have uh, been, been birthed in the primary target, the biggest aircraft carrier, which was out to sea at the time. But yeah, it was first one sunk. They got hit with two torpedoes, and uh, he said the boat lifted out of the water for a second and dropped down, and they all, it began to list immediately, and they all swam to shore, so. Wow. Yeah. So, did he tell you stories about that growing up, or was that? Yeah, later in life, you know, yeah. I mean, he was like most of those guys. He didn't really talk about much early mm-hmm. on, but toward, you know, I think in his uh, late 60s, he started talking about it more, and then mm-hmm. people started coming to interview him, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, that, that bunch is just about gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you had, a, you grew up in the church, but there was, at some point, you developed this heart for people and service, and, and then you ended up working as a, a director for a children's ministry and, uh, and children's homes, and kind of talk about that journey, your faith journey that led you not only to Christ, but then even into ministry. Yeah, I, I, the last thing in the world that I wanted to do was be in the ministry. <laughs> Um, and that was true all the way up until I was about a junior in college. Mm. And, uh, and that's when I really felt called to ministry and got into some Bible classes and just was, you know, I, all of a sudden the student came out yeah. uh, at that point. I really became so fascinated by the scripture and Christ and all of this. And, and so that really kind of, you know, turned my life around. 
But uh, yeah, I was the youth minister for 10 years after mm -hmm. seminary and then uh, uh, went to work at a children's home. Uh, and it was just a whole different thing, you know, as a youth minister, I'd have kids in my youth group come and, you know, they were so torn up because they'd broken up with their boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, and just that kind of thing. And all of a sudden I'm thrown in with kids. You know, we had kids at our children's home in San Antonio. We had, I remember one girl had been sexually abused by 19 guys mm. in her family. Um, we'd had one kid who probably had 25 or more cigarette burns on each leg and each arm and that's how he got disciplined so all of a sudden i'm in with this kind of crowd uh, of kids and these kind of problems and it just uh it's just a big huge change it just it breaks your heart you yeah. know you just see these kids who are just never going to be really okay short of the grace of god something mm. miraculous happened in their life yeah so how did you move from being there to feeling this call to international missions. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and again, I mean, that was way off my radar. Uh, you know, I, youth, being a youth minister was fun. Mm -hmm. Being a missionary, I thought was probably the most boring thing that somebody could ever do yeah. because all the missionaries I ever heard speak uh, were boring mm. to me. And I couldn't, you know, it, now I look back on that and I go, how, could they have been so boring, yeah. you know, with the stories they must have had, but it just seemed that way. Um, but yeah, I was just, you know, I was doing my uh, administration of this children's home. And one day my boss came to me and said, hey, how would you like to uh, take a mission trip to Russia and do a camp for orphans? And, you know, when your boss comes to you with that, you always say yes, yeah. but um, my mouth and my mouth said yes, but my heart said absolutely not. That's the worst idea I can think of, I, you know, and, and, the, and the expression godless communist came mm. to mind. I'd heard that all my life growing up. And uh, why would I want to go spend time with godless communists? Mm. So, you know, I went reluctantly. Uh, but you know, as soon as as soon as I arrive with my little, I had put together a little team, uh, and so we we flew into Moscow, uh, and uh, about two and a half hour drive by bus, we go to the Vladimir region just east of there, and literally from the time I got off the bus, I stepped into. Uh, a situation with a with a young man. He was probably about 11 or 12 years old, uh, and I just heard this this kind of mournful singing coming from this forest of huge pine trees with golden bark. I mean, the amazing forest. And I'm seeing all these kids at the same time that are walking to camp. You know, here we are with our I mean, typical Americans with our big suitcases full of stuff. And here's these kids walking from all different directions, and it, and you'd, you'd have thought they were hobos, you know, the old, mm. and back in the day where people had a stick and tied, you know, maybe one change of clothes in a in a towel or something to it. Um, they're, they're coming from all different directions, and that's what they're gonna. That's all the clothes that they had for two weeks of camp. Gosh. So I'm already feeling pretty conspicuous and. Um, and all, but I, I follow the sound of this 
this voice, this singing voice through the, the trees, and I come across this young man, and he's singing, and there's this old guy playing an accordion for him, and he's singing this song, and it, again, it's just so mournful, and I mm. thought, well, it's, this is what Russia is with songs like that. And I asked my translator, well, what's he singing about? And the translator listened a bit, and she said, well, he's, he's singing about how much he loves his mother, and, um, and he, you know, he misses her, and, but he knows that someday she's going to come and take him back. And then she paused for a moment, and she looked at me, and she said, you know, that's not going to happen. And uh, his name was Artum. I'll never forget him. Uh, and anyway, he and I kind of became buddies for those two weeks. The last day of camp, uh, you know, we're all getting on the bus. I'm the last one on the bus. And he comes running up to me and just throws his arms around my neck and just crying into my chest. And it it seemed like, Jeff, 15 minutes mm. of it, you know. And I know people on the bus are anxious to get going and all. And I finally, you know, we extricate ourselves from each other. And through the interpreter, he says, you're the best friend I ever had. And I thought, how heartbreaking is that to have a kid know you only two weeks and you're his best friend? Well, the story went on. I mean, the next year I came back, I looked for our tomb, couldn't find him. Third year, same thing, couldn't find him. Fourth year, couldn't find him. Fifth year, I found, uh, I didn't find him. Maybe four or five years later, I got a phone call from somebody who had been on that trip and they said, hey, did you hear about our tomb? I said, no, tell me. I've just, you know, I've never forgotten him. He said, well, he committed suicide. And, um, you know, I think he, he, think he overdosed on drugs or something. And that was a kind of a formative experience for me because mm -hmm. by that time, of course, my heart was totally changed. I was all into missions. I really wanted to start something in Russia. But I wanted to do it where we would see the same kids every time we came back because mm -hmm. I just felt like I could have made a difference in that boy's life if we'd have been able to set up a program like that. So that's, wow. And then, you know, beyond that, uh, or as a part of, you know, kind of a part of that whole time in my life, I, I had written an article that got published in the Baptist Standard mm. uh, in Texas and uh, got a call one day from a guy who had read the article about it, what we'd done in Russia. His name was David Knight. And he mm. said, hey, I wish you, y'all would come talk to me because I think we have some common interests and I would like to talk to you about that. So, um, you know, we didn't know that who this guy was from Adam, but the president and I drove down there and we meet with this guy and it's uh, just north of Houston. And, um, and he tells us a story and his story is incredible too. He tells us a story about going to Moldova. Mm. Of course, I said the same thing everybody else says, where's Moldova, you know? <laughs> Uh, and so he said, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer by trade. And um, I got invited to go on a team with a bunch of doctors. And of course the doctors are seeing kids and doing all that. And they just had me kind of organizing the kids. So um, he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all these kids and trying to get, get their names straight. And those Eastern European names are so strange sounding. And, he had a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old girl kind of helping him, you know. 
uh, with some of the, the, the names. Of course, they couldn't speak English at all either, but um, it was Stella and Sveta, and so he decided he was gonna write their names with his, in ink on his hand so he would at least remember them. Mm. So they put in a full day. They're driving back to um, the hotel where they were staying, and David, who's this big guy, you know, and very stoic guy, he, he just starts crying in the back seat of this car. And the, the, the people on the team are like, what's the deal with David? You know, I mean, it's so weird. But um, he goes back, he, he goes to his room, can't fall asleep. So he does what maybe a lot of people do, can't go to sleep, reach your, start reading your Bible, maybe mm. that'll put you to sleep. Mm. Um, anything but he he starts and it wasn't one of those stories where you know you open your Bible and you point to a verse but he starts reading on Isaiah chapter one and I think he goes all the way through like chapter forty nine I think it was and he comes across wow. the verse that says even though the mother who suckled you forgets your name I have your name written on the palm of my hand mm. so he looks at his hand those names are still there crying again he decides okay I gotta call my wife because I think God wants me to do something for these girls mm. and uh, and so he calls his wife and they had three kids and one on the way and he said I just think God wants me to adopt these kids if they're adoptable and she said well you just do whatever you think God wants you to do so the next day he goes and finds out that one of them is a true orphan and one of them is a uh, has a father somewhere, mother's dead, but has a father somewhere, she hadn't seen him in years, not even quite sure where he lives, but maybe she knows. So uh, they get, they hire a car, they get a social worker and a translator, and they go to this village. And you know, in Moldova, they don't have, they don't have uh, like addresses or mailboxes with the, you know. So she didn't know where they, they don't even know where they're gonna look, but she happens to spot him walking along the road in a burial detail. And so they stop the car and get out and he introduces himself and tells the whole story uh, to this father. And he says, you know, I, I would love to adopt your daughter and take her to the United States, but I have to have your blessing in order to do that. And, uh, and the dad says, you know, I'm just a drunk. That's all I've ever been. That's all I'm ever gonna be. And you seem like a nice man. If my daughter wants to go with you to America, I give you my blessing. Six months later, these two girls with one change of clothes, their name are the daughters of this multimillionaire. And, you know, so it just, just a, a great, great story. Mm. And so that's how we, back in that day, that's, that's how uh, that organization got involved in Moldova. Yeah. Well, that, that's incredible. And then your heart for Moldova and your heart for these orphans that were there and state-run orphanages who really have no help and no hope. And, uh, and then God brought our lives together, you yeah. know. And uh, talk about that, you know, the founding of JMI and, and how all that got started. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we were both in the same church yeah, together yeah. at the time in San Antonio. You were the youth minister, and actually my sons were— Mm-hmm. part of the youth group at that time but you were about like maybe one year from mm-hmm. from leaving to come to, to Nashville and uh so yeah I mean I you know I actually probably knew your parents better than I knew you yeah. 
And so one Wednesday night at the Wednesday night meal, I'm going through the line. Your dad, who's, you know, major league greeter, you know, he, he was the best. He saw me and, hey, you know, you know Jeff's got up in Nashville and he just started a church. You got to call him and get him going to, to Moldova. So I said, well, okay. He said, well, it's just a small church, but, you know, you never know. So, uh, you know, I called you and Amazing. didn't know what to expect. But I think, well, we had like, you had 16 people yeah, at the yeah. time. <laughs> And, and rather than just kind of blow me off like most pastors would would do, you just said, well, let's let's see what we can do. Mm. So I, I don't know how long was it. It was mm. less than a year, I think. And we were going to Moldova. Yeah. And I think the team was more than 16 at that time. Yeah. Eight months later, we take 18 people and go to this country of Moldova. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but I'll never forget that statistic you told me that 60% of girls trafficked into prostitution in Eastern Europe come out of this country of 4 million. Yeah. And I remember when you told me that, it just broke my heart. It was like God just said, you know, this is what you should do. This is where you should invest. And, and even though we only had, you know, 15, 16 people meeting in an apartment clubhouse on Thursday nights, we knew it couldn't just be about us, that we had to go and do something more for others. And, and I pray everybody watching this would, would have that in their heart but um that was the start of something incredible wasn't it <laughs> and, and, yeah and you, you remember how that that story kind of ended i mean we we did this uh week of camp and yeah. then i i tacked on a, a day in vienna yeah. because i thought they're going to be you know i mean if all they see is moldova and eastern europe nobody's going to ever want to come back yeah so we you know we do this day in vienna and i'm just i'm having a good time and get back to the room and everybody is depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm looking laughs> it was miserable. Up, What's the matter with you guys? And, um, and they basically were all in agreement oh, yeah. that they, if they had to do it over again, they would have spent that last day in Moldova. Oh. And so we've never done another side trip. Yeah. Well, you fall in love with these kids and, and you just see that you see their, their, their desire and their want for the Lord and for somebody to love them. It was like, like that kid, Artum, telling you you're his best friend after two weeks because they just don't have anything yeah. or anyone. You know, we, we all think we have to go over and have all these skills. No, you just have a smile and have arms to hug them, and you become the hands and feet of Christ. That's so true. And, and even, you know, older guys and, and women, yeah. um, the kid, you'd think that, for instance, like this year we've got our teenagers going to Moldova yeah. with us on one of our teams. And you would think the kids would just gravitate toward them, yeah. but they don't. I mean, they—it's like you're 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 kind of, you're cool, yeah. you know. Even if you're old, yeah. they hang out with. They love that, yeah. you know. So it doesn't matter if young or old. They just they just well, they need a father sponges. figure or a mother. They need somebody who just loves them, yeah. you know. And I think you become that conduit of God's love and God's grace, and 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 you you really see life change happen in that week or 10 day time and then it it could carry on and that, i think that's the beauty of jmi and how that relationship moves on it is so and so and how it, did it go from there i mean we remember we did that one week we came back you went back to texas but then god said hey there's something bigger happening here <laughs> yeah well you mean how did we want how did i yeah, want yeah, up here yeah, okay yeah. well um i had this vision for what the ministry needed to look like mm -hmm. and it was based on you know at the my last years in san antonio 
I think the last year that I was there, I took 10 trips to Moldova mm -hmm. and about seven trips from May until August. So I was kind of like the walking dead that, that summer. But, but I had a good sense, I thought, of what God, what the situation was and how God wanted to address it. And it just wasn't shared, you yeah. know, by the, the upper echelon of the, the organization. And so um, I, I just, it, rather than just continuing to butt heads over it, um, I called you mm -hmm. and, and I was basically just telling you, hey, I just want you to know I'm about to leave and mm -hmm. we've just got a lot of philosophical differences here. I really want to, I want to do sponsorships like what JMI is yeah. doing, really personal stuff. I want to do mission trips at mm -hmm. church partners. I want to have opportunities for the kids that have no social structure at all to maybe find a business or create a business mm -hmm. someday. I just want to make all that happen. And, uh, and that just wasn't shared. And so I just telling you, you know, I'm about to leave. And you, you said out of the blue, it was, uh, I was a shock, like, well, well, come talk to us because we've been talking about maybe starting our own 501c3. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, you know, Vicki and I came up and, you know, I, we just, fell in love with Tennessee, you know, I was so used to the flatlands of Texas and uh, loved the, the hills and, you know, loved the, what was happening at the church and all of that. And uh, you gathered a group together and uh, so, some of them, probably maybe even most of them had been to Moldova with mm -hmm. us and we just talked about it. And next thing I know, you know, you're, you're saying, hey, <laughs> come on. Let's do and, it. And I thought, well, okay now, so I can't remember what month that was, yeah. March or April maybe. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, okay, well, maybe we can sell the house in six months. You know, maybe we'll be there by the, by the fall or something like that. And you're saying, well, I really want you here this summer. <laughs> My experience with God was never that God moved that fast, but obviously you're on a whole, you and God are on a whole nother way. Because <laughs> it happened just exactly that way. The house sold fast, you know, we got here quickly. And so, yeah, I was, great and what a journey yeah. i mean it was 10 years ago or so that god just started doing this and what i mean what have you seen god do through jmi i mean what have you what excites you the most about the ministry and what's happened well i mean the growth has been yeah. incredible and i just know you know the so many of those kids i don't know it anymore i mean there was a time when I knew just about all of the kids that were in or, mm -hmm. in or not too, uh, but um, it's just grown so quickly, and uh, and I attribute that to Mary Catherine's mm -hmm. leadership mm -hmm. uh, and and our and uh, this incredible team that she's built around her. You know, back when it was just me, it was mm -hmm. just me. You know, yeah. and I would I was had all I could do. Uh, you know, to to work. Uh, here during the day and then I'd go home and have my com computer out on my lap and I was work for another two or three hours and it was like that every night and I'm like, ah! and uh, but I just couldn't quite keep up with it but um, you know now that we've got this incredibly committed talented group mm -hmm. of people uh, yeah just just knowing that every one of those kids for, for me, it's never been about the big numbers. Mm -hmm. It's been about individual kids and having sponsors that would, would speak into their lives and, and help them with their faith and help them with what other, other problems might come along or if there was, 
if they were about to make maybe make some bad decisions, try to help them with that. So I, that's that's just been mm. really cool, you know. And, and of course now that we've got all our, our yeah. own staff down there, knowing yeah. that the ministry goes on every single day. Mm. Uh, yeah, I just can't beat it. Well, I, it is amazing. I mean, now to have what nine full-time staff in the states, and then twenty-two full-time staff in Moldova. You yeah. know, working with the kids year-round, having over seven hundred kids that are being sponsored, and having a connection to somebody back here in the states. It's, it's everybody should be a sponsor. I mean, at least in our sponsor. I mean, your spot. I mean, everybody, everybody listening to this should sponsor a child because you make such an impact and a difference in their lives. Yeah. Um, tell us one one child, one story. I mean, whether it's all or somebody that you've just seen God transform their lives. Well, well, I could name any number of them. Uh, the 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 one that really comes to mind the most quickly is Nina. Okay. Uh, Nina grew up at Internet Two Orphanage. She was a she was a true orphan by the time we got her, I think. But um, in her life, she she was the, or in her younger life, she had her parents, and her father worked out at the city dump, basically at the at the little guard gate, letting you know the trucks in, checking trucks in, while her mother was was out in the city dump scavenging for food, mm. and uh, we actually went out there with her, to um, to just just to see kind of where she had grown up and. Then I said, well, where, where did you live from here? And so she took us to uh, her grandmother's house that they evidently lived there some of the time, but she, she also stopped along the road and she said, over there is where, is where I lived for a while. And there was nothing there except for a hole. There was just a hole in the ground. And she said, yeah, that's where we slept. And so they, they stayed there just in this hole in the ground. So that was her background. Mm. But um, she became this phenomenal young lady, so faithful. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny story because she, she would go to church before going to school every day. And, um, and, and the pastor was meeting her there, I think about seven in the morning or earlier, mm. to let her in because she wanted to pray before she went to school. And finally he just he just made her key because he didn't want to keep showing up that early. Wow! But she was faithful about all that that all that time, and then uh, later on we found out she had a boyfriend, which you know I didn't realize until the, uh, he was about to pop the question. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be in Moldova with Lena's sponsor, and so we found out that he was going to pop the question. But he wanted to come speak with us about that, which I gave him a lot of credit for. So, you know, we were all prepared to kind of grill him and all of that. And, but he was just this great guy, just, mm. you know, really faithful, God, Christian yeah. young man. And, uh, and so we, you know, we spent some time with, but found out that their relationship was one where they had, they had covenanted together not to hug or kiss or even hold hands until they were married. Wow. And, um, and so the first time that I guess that they held hands and kissed was when he proposed to her. Wow. And they had worked it out to come to the Grace House, you know. And, and the other girls in the house knew about it, and Nina didn't. So, um, you know, he comes and knocks on the door. And, um, 
and gets down on, you know, on his knee and proposes. And all the girls that you can imagine just screaming, and they had flowers, and they threw in the petals and all. But, yeah, That's I think amazing. I think Nina's just an amazing. Yeah. But there's so many of them. Mm. And Jeff, I you know I just I would aspire to be as faithful as a lot of those kids are. Um, they just the things that they've overcome in their life compared to me mm. and my the privilege that I've had in my life is just uh, it's just incredible. We've have so much, don't we? Yeah. You know, and I think we're gonna be held accountable for that. For do what too. we do with that, but um, Steve, you've been over like a hundred mission trips, you know, probably that you've led or been a part of. What would you say to guys about the importance of going on a mission trip? Why, why is it important to go? Why is it important to serve or even get your family involved? Yeah, I, uh, two things really. I mean, one, one is just that the, part of it is the, the change that needs to happen within us. Mm. I just think mm. until you go on a mission trip, you don't really have a, uh, an accurate perspective of who you are yeah. or you know or your environment your world and it just kind of is a corrective experience I think in a lot of ways but also tell people you know in, in the longer taking the longer you know term one of these days we're going to be in heaven <laughs> and you know nobody is gonna I don't think there's going to be any talk about who won the you know the the, the final four of any, yeah. you know, playoff thing. Uh, no, nobody's going to care what college you went to and mm. all that kind of stuff. I think we're going to only be talking about how amazing mm. Jesus is and, yeah. and what an incredible experience it was to be a follower of his. And so I'd just say, you know, to the, to the guys, you know, if you, you, you don't want to be in heaven listening to everybody else's story <laughs> And you don't have a story to tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, I just mm. that just seems really important to me. Um, and you know, guys, when particularly when we're getting to know each other, meet people, or just in our normal conversation, we're always telling stories. Yeah. But what are you gonna have to say in heaven? Yeah. You know, and it, unless unless you have these, and on a mission trip, you have the incredible opportunity to come back with some of the best stories ever. <laughs> You know, I mean, really life-changing for you, life-changing for the kids, and, and really life-changing in terms of your relationship with Christ. Yeah. It's, a, that, it's so true, you know? And uh, you've been on so many. I mean, you've been down to the Amazon, and you've pulled alligators up on a boat <laughs> that were like 12 feet long. And, <laughs> and, you've, uh, and I got in trouble for it. <laughs> you've shot a bow and arrow with tribes and the, I mean, just, but, but those are things, I mean, that's life, you know? And then, and then for your family and for your kids to say, this is important to my family. This is important to my dad. This is important to us is, is to live out our faith and, and uh, to, to make that who we are. Uh, and to have the stories to tell, you know? Yeah, and that, that's a, a whole other thing I hadn't even really thought of until you mentioned that is, you know, one of, the, one of the best memories I have of my dad was going on a mission trip mm. with, with him, and we were down in Mexico, and he'd grown up as a mechanic, you know, and worked his way up in the Chevrolet uh, division, uh, service division, and, and they had a this this church had a bus that didn't work and my dad fixed the bus 
And I just remember feeling so proud of him, you know, that I, I thought before we went, I was like, oh, my dad's going, you know, he's going to be watching me. It's going to be a drag, but anything but. I mean, mm. it's one of my favorite memories of him. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And what are our, what are our kids' memories of us? Yeah. You know, what, what do they see us? What are we passionate about? What are we investing in? Exactly. You know, so, um, hey, give us two takeaways. I mean, for all the guys who are out there watching, what, give us two takeaways about missions, uh, about somehow being involved and serving. What, what would you say to us about that? Yeah, I think one is I, I really believe that men need a life outside of their bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think probably back in the, you know, early days, you know, men were going off to sea and, you know, or, or crossing the pioneer and all this kind of stuff. And nowadays it just seems like we're, we're domesticated in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. And we've got this, this kingdom of God out there. Mm. Uh, and you talk about living on the edge. And, and maybe, maybe guys think, well, that's not really living on the edge. But if you ask them, hey, how would you feel about going and speaking to, about Jesus to a bunch of people in another country? I bet you they get afraid, yeah. you know? And, and it, it, that's, it's a scary proposition in a way. So I don't mind calling men to that. It, you know, life is meant to be an adventure. Yeah. And it, in, in our world, it just seems like, you know, especially with men, you know, we're, it's more the, the, the culture's trying to domesticate us and to, you know, the feminize us in a yeah. way, you know, and that's, I don't think that's who we are. And no. that's, I don't think that's just how we're, we're wired. And I think God wants to call us to that kind of adventure mm-hmm. and, and, and being out there and working in the kingdom mm. and, you know, facing down those fears yeah. and making our life count for, for Christ. And the second thing, I, uh, just as a takeaway, um, I, I just see how God has changed the way that I see Mm. and I hear. And to give you a, a perfect example, I was in India one time on a mission trip and I'm speaking to this room full of, of kids that are probably about, I don't know, anywhere from five to 15 or so. And, uh, and I'm telling the, the Good Samaritan story and I get to the end of the story and I said, so what's the moral of the story? And this little girl raises her hand and she says, don't pretend to not see what you see in terms of the man that's been beaten and left on the side of the road. Don't pretend to not see what you see. I've seen a lot now. Mm. Um, you know, I've see, just seen a lot of kids in difficult situations, a lot of parts of the world. And I can't pretend not to see that. Mm. And, uh, and, and I want to be able to see and I want to be able to hear their stories and know people that way. And, and be, just be a part of their life. Mm. And you just, just the relationship means so much. And as you know, in Moldova, you know, they used to say that um, your wealth is not measured in terms of money, it's measured in terms of your relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, that's your heart, you know, and I've seen that, Steve, and I've watched you live that. Uh, I joke with people that, um, whenever it comes your time to go home to heaven that you want to die with surrounded by orphans in the middle of <laughs> Moldova. But it's amazing to me that 
that one little boy's life in Russia um, so impacted you that now there's 700 to 1,000 plus kids that you have gone in and said, you know what, I don't want you to commit suicide. I don't want you to be lost. I don't want you to feel unloved. I want you to know the grace of God and um, to see the impact that God's made through you and through JMI and Nina and Alla and Tudor and Stella and I mean, mm-hmm. all these kids. I mean, it's unbelievable, Yeah, you know? And, and you could have said, hey, I'm just going to stay in Texas and pull in my garage and close the door and shut my life in and watch my big screen TV and let other people live life. But it's, no, I want to live life for the glory of God, you know? And, and I think that's where the Christian life becomes alive. Yeah, and I, and I don't claim any, no. uh, anything for myself in that because had God not put that situation in my life, I'd never have walked into it. No. And if he had not changed my heart, I would be that guy, yeah. you know? And yeah. So, yeah. So we get one shot at this life, you know? Yeah. One opportunity. And every guy out there watching, you can have a huge impact and a tremendous impact on so many. Um, Steve, what, what do you want your legacy to be? That's that's the hardest question for me, because um, I don't really consider myself important enough. You know, I always think it, it's the important people in life who leave legacies, and I don't really consider myself that way. Um, but I I, I want to be. I guess I want to be remembered as is ne- somebody who never stopped learning mm. and never stop serving. Mm. Um, I, I think particularly when folks get my age and, and a little older, they, they just, they just want to, you know, put the foot on the brake and slow things down. And I don't want to do that. Mm. I mean, there's still, you know, when I read the Bible, it's just, it's just such an amazing book and every, you can read the same thing you know, at different times, and it speaks to you in different, you know, different ways. Um, and and I just, I just love, you know, I just love serving. And it's, yeah. again, it's nothing about me. It's just whatever Christ is put inside of me, or however He draws me to do those kind of things. That's, you know, He's just rewired me, I guess. You know, in a lot of ways, and it still needs to do more rewiring. But. <laughs> He's, he's done a, a pretty decent job with a pretty selfish guy. Yeah. Well, I just want to tell you, I love serving God with you, my friend. And um, I know you're retiring, quote unquote, you know, coming up uh, in the next several months. But, but I know you're not stopping. You know, mm-hmm. I know it's going to be kind of more part time or whatever. But I know till your last breath, you want to be living it all for the glory of God. And I just want to say thank you for inspiring me and all of us as a church and as JMI um, to really make the most of our lives and to invest in, in people's lives um, and to say, hey, there's a God who loves you and he's called us to love you. And, well, thanks for giving me the chance. Oh, it's been awesome. Yeah, it has been so much fun. <laughs> uh, guys, thanks for tuning in today. And I do want to encourage you, you know, maybe God's inspired you right now. Go to the website for Justice and Mercy and uh, just look at ways you can get involved and maybe it's sponsoring a child. Lisa and I sponsor uh, multiple children in Moldova and being able to write them and keep up. And it's also a great way for our kids to feel a part.
Uh, and maybe God's calling you to go on a mission trip and go to Moldova, go to the Amazon, but go somewhere and, and serve because your life is the one who's changed. You yeah. know, you go to serve, but your life is impacted and you will make a difference. And I want you to know that. And so I want to pray for us right now. Father, thanks for today. Thank you, God, for Steve Davis. Thank you for his heart, for his life, for his ministry. And I pray, Father, that um, we would be challenged and encouraged today. Thank you most of all for the gift of your son. And Jesus, you modeled for us. It says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so let us live as your disciples. Let us serve like you serve Jesus and love um, the poor, the lost, the forgotten, and with the love of Christ. So thanks for today and for this call in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. Tune in next month for our next podcast as we continue to grow and become the men that God created us to be. Thanks for joining in today. God bless.